Hi, I'm Jesse Rath, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and since my usual co-host Morgan Glennon is unavailable this week, I have Spoiler TV's Donna Cromines, aka DJ Ryder, with me to discuss the season four episode of Supergirl titled Ahimsa. So welcome to Supergirl Radio, Donna. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're always excited to have uh, new voices on the podcast. Um, but since it's customary on Supergirl Radio for first-time uh, first guests on the podcast, uh, would you tell us a little bit about how you first connected with the character of Supergirl? Where, where did you first see her? What, what made you first uh, uh, want to follow the character? Well, I'm maybe telling of my own age, but my first encounters with Supergirl were back from the early Superman comics when Supergirl was Linda Danvers, Superman's cousin, and she would have the brown pigtails in the comic books and then become Supergirl. Um, she's always been a peripheral character that I've kept an eye on. I mean, obviously wanting, you know, female superheroes. For a, for a, for a geeky girl growing up, you always wanted, wanted someone you could relate to, and Supergirl was that. And I was ecstatic when they announced particularly when it was cbs that announced that they were going to do a live action supergirl and then they released that just incredible what was it six to eight minute trailer about the show and um it hooked me there and then and then really just nailed me to the show with with like one specific scene in the pilot was and and I think the biggest thing and the biggest plus that has done in the history of Supergirl, I guess, was giving her a sister. I'm I'm very big into the sisterhood, so it's it's um she's a terrific character and had become you know even a, a better role model. I haven't kept up with the comics, the New Fifty Two and the Rebirth and and all of that like I should have. I think the last Supergirl comic I bought was the one Jeff Johns did based on the TV show. Yeah, I would agree that the uh, addition of Alex Danvers has been a really strong one to the Supergirl mythos. So I'm really glad to have Alex in uh, Supergirl's orbit. And if you like the Alex-Carr relationship, check out uh, Sterling Gates' Adventures of Supergirl comics. They are a tie-in to the show, and it features uh, Carr and Alex teaming up with each other quite a bit. So I think you would like that if you uh, have some time to check that out. Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug here also, is that sometime next year, McFarlane Press is putting out a 
book, a collection of essays about Supergirl. And I am a contributor to one of those. And my essay is entitled Sisterhood of Steel, where I examine the first two seasons of the sisterhood. That's really cool. Well, definitely uh, let us know when it is out and uh, ready to be consumed. We will... uh... Definitely let our listeners know. Will do. Well, let's get into talking about the episode. So here is the official description for Ahimsa. Quote, when Supergirl needs help, Alex asks Lena and Brainiac 5 to team up. Meanwhile, Jean questions his decision to quit the DEO. However, after running into Manchester Black, he realizes there are a lot of ways to help his fellow aliens during this tumultuous time, unquote. So uh, we got an introduction to a new character in this episode, uh, one of the characters from DC Comics, of course, uh, Mr. Manchester Black. So Donna, what did you think about getting to meet him? I loved him. I thought he was terrific. The actor is fabulous, and he played so well off of David Harewood. And, and their semi-partnership, if you will. I think, you know, he could have been like a young John Jones had he not been, you know, raised in the straight and narrow, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I thought David Ahalo uh, put in a really great and convincing performance as Manchester Black. He was very funny, had a really good personality, and I, I thought he balanced it really well with with having that kind of jokey side to him, but also showing his emotional depth where he was uh, trying to find Fiona and then ended up sadly mourning her uh, because it, it seems as though she has died. She she died. It seemed like she died previously in an episode. And now I guess she is officially dead. I'm guessing. I don't know. Could turn out that she uh, maybe makes it next episode, but it seemed like she uh, passed away in this one. And I, I agree with that. He brought, you know, that that there's just he brought in, in just a, a short amount of time so many layers to that character. I mean, him him imitating Jean back to Jean. Yeah. You know, and and the introduction. Oh, you know, where are my manners? I'm Manchester Black. And but then the, you know, I mean, he, you know, after the battle at the police station, he he treated, you know, Alex with, you know, respect. You know, he is introduced as this is the head of the DEO kind of. And then you could see him just walking that edge, though, and you know that that her death is going to kind of push him maybe one way or the other. It's going to be interesting to see is if if her death pushes him further back towards his his roots or his beginning and it ends up Supergirl has to save Agent Liberty from him. And I guess that leads into this. The, the only thing I was disappointed with in terms of the Manchester Black character is that he didn't seem to have any abilities. Uh, in the comics, he is very powerful. He is a telepath, and he's, he's, he's very uh, willing to throw people around. He's willing to do some really nasty things. And uh, it, it was just striking to me that he, at the end of the episode, goes to get weapons. Uh, it seems at this point, maybe they'll develop this later on, that he'll develop powers, uh, but it it was kind of disappointing for me that they they didn't introduce him with those abilities. Um, even in the comics, he has the ability to make people uh, have uh, they're not necessarily dreams, but he can make people think that they're seeing something that's not really happening. Uh, so he he can do a lot of damage, and so it was uh, 
It was strange to me that they didn't introduce him with powers, and of course he didn't have his trademark purple hair, but I guess I can let that go. Uh, but uh, I did think it was interesting that he, uh, when when Jean tells him that he's a telepath, he, he seemed to... Uh, uh, perk up about that. So, uh, it, I, I think it would be, um, it would be disappointing for me if they didn't explore that telepath versus telepath, uh, situation that they could go down that road if they wanted to. So hopefully we'll see him at some point in the season where he does have abilities. Yeah. I thought it was odd too, is, is when Jean, he was telling Jean about Fiona and about how his mates discovered she was an alien and I thought that odd, knowing what little I know about the character and that he has these abilities and things. So I'm, I'm like you. I'm hoping that they, they show he develops. Maybe he's a meta. Yeah, it could be the case that he somehow uh, gets the powers at some point. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibilities in the Arrowverse. Uh, sometimes people develop uh, abilities when they're struck by lightning in their lab. So it, <laughs> it could happen. Um, and I, I, like you, I enjoyed getting to learn more about his backstory and how he came to, to meet Fiona. And I was really struck by his um, discussing the, uh, the things that his dad taught him about how there's a, a switch in the brain that keeps you from hurting another person and that that switch can be turned on and off. And I thought that that played really well into the Ahimsa part of this episode. Uh, you know, kind of the the idea that uh, violence or nonviolence is a choice. You make that choice whether to be uh, someone who hurts someone or who doesn't. And um, I kind of did a little bit of digging on Ahimsa because I wasn't as familiar with the term. And uh, I had to actually <laughs> call up a friend of mine who... Uh, is of Indian heritage, and uh, so she kind of schooled me a little bit on uh, the term ahimsa, and uh, she she uh, educated me on pointed me towards uh, Gandhi because Gandhi, of course, was uh, nonviolent, and his sort of strategy and the way he lived his life was a nonviolent existence. And she was telling me that ahimsa is something that they have in the, like the Hindu scriptures, and that it's. Um, it's basically the idea that they're not going to be uh, violent, like they're going to practice nonviolence to all things, not just people, but but all things. And in a lot of regions of India, there, well, I think what she was telling me was that there are some regions in India where they will eat lamb or they will eat fish, but pretty much all Indians don't eat beef. So they they even go as far as to to be nonviolent to their to their food. So that's kind of what the Ahimsa part of the episode kind of um, made me think about, um, you know, in terms of the the history of that and how it played into these characters and the choices that they had to make in terms of whether they were going to uh, to let something violent go or, or if they were going to be like Manchester Black and take up arms. So I thought that that part of the episode really played well is that they had they kind of had the episode title, and they had uh, characters making choices. So I thought that played really well. Yeah, I I love too. After hearing him explain it to Jean, and then going back and watching the episode again, if you look at the battle in the police station, you'll look that he I, I can't remember exactly, but I don't think he throws a punch. Yeah, no, I don't think he does either. He kind of does this awesome spin move and sits down. Yeah, and the and the guy just goes over the railing or something. 
you know, and he tells the guy, I'm not going to hit you, but he is. But, <laughs> you know, he says, well, well, Fiona taught him that about there, that there's other ways to do things, which is a nice parallel to what Jean's going through. Oh, absolutely. He's trying to he's trying to take a more uh, peaceful approach to things instead of fighting all the time. So, yeah, I agree. He and he and Jean are, are very much parallel this season. I think he's a very interesting character. I think they have done a wonderful job with the cast additions this season. Him being the latest one. I'm going to reserve judgment on this colonel, this new colonel, though I understand there's, there, there are probably plans for her. I'm, I'm glad that even though I, I didn't get the purple hair or the abilities just yet. You got the t-shirt. He did wear the Union Jack shirt there at the end of, in the comics, the Union Jack is actually a tattoo on his chest. So I guess uh, maybe that would have been taking it a little too far in terms of his, his wardrobe. But uh, it was nice to see him sporting the his uh, traditional Union Jack. So I, I did get that part of uh, the Manchester uh, black character. So uh, I thought it was a good first episode for him. So I can't wait to see more about what he's going to end up doing and what choices he will be making. Um, and so also in this episode, we got to see Supergirl in a new suit that was trying to help protect her from the kryptonite in the atmosphere. Uh, Donna, what did you think about this uh, new super suit and uh, everything she had to do in it? I thought the suit was, was cool. I thought it was an interesting way to do it. I had talked to someone in one of my chat groups just before the episode's aired and i said the only thing i want i said when she wakes up in that suit she's going to be panicked she's going to be like this and i said the first face she needs to see is alex and thankfully or happily it played out that way uh i liked i liked the suit um it was certainly a different look and uh and the they had that that nice little one-liner about alex telling her to suit up and she's I, I don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Is it something that we would like to revisit? I don't know. Um, I mean, it had a purpose. The suit had a purpose. It had a function. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't seem like she... I mean, I guess maybe there might be a, a situation in the future where <laughs> she might be affected by kryptonite again. It might come in handy because uh, kryptonite does seem to pop up a lot, even though Superman got rid of it <laughs> back in uh, season two. I will say this about it, and, and we'll get into this, I guess, a little later in all. You really have to hand it to Kyler in that the majority of her scenes with Supergirl this episode, she played to that suit with the blacked out face, which it was likely a stunt double in the suit, but she sold every minute of it. Oh yeah, she she might not have had that, uh, that same dynamic as she would with Melissa. Even though Melissa wasn't there, Kyler did have to act and really sell it, even uh, even though she didn't have that uh, dynamic to play off, and vice versa, uh, Melissa still played all of those interactions, even though she was by herself and not, and probably not reacting to Kyler. I'm assuming they they did her stuff maybe later on when she got back from Broadway. I don't know. I don't know how they they shot that and what what order that went in, but. I would assume that most of it, she was just kind of reacting off of a line reading. That's that's how I imagine it in my head. So yeah, they did a really great job of playing off uh, the characters. They made the suit a character. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, very alive. And you you believed that, you know, Supergirl was there and and was interacting with everyone off of it. Yeah. And it's funny. I didn't know if I would like this new Supergirl suit when the uh, trailer from San Diego Comic Con dropped. I was like, hmm. I don't know how I feel about this. Is this going to be a long-running thing? I don't know, because I really love the Supergirl, you know, the costume, like the traditional suit. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I didn't know how I felt about it. But actually, in watching this episode, I grew to really like it. I think what they showed at Comic-Con was so out of context that, you know, everybody's going, oh, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. But I like the fact that she wasn't, a hundred percent in the suit. Right. And that the suit, you know, Alex told her time and again, that suit only has the power to heal you. Don't stress it. But yet every time she'd turn around and go stress it. <laughs> yeah. I did like that. The stakes were raised with that, that, you know, I kept thinking, well, what happens if the suit gets damaged? You know, that that's very dangerous for, for Kara if that happens. So I did like the way that they used that to, to raise the stakes in the episode. The only thing that I was a little unclear about the suit was, uh, and maybe maybe you have an answer for this, Donna, um, did they explain how Alex could supercharge the suit with that weapon that she had? I don't think they did. But, but by the same token, uh, uh, Brainy could redirect it from life support to totally shutting the suit down (laughs) by remote control. You do have a point, and I didn't think about that, and I just saw it as big sister saving the day. But look, Alex got to use her space gun. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was cool. Don't get me wrong. Very cool. It was it was awesome. It was an awesome moment. But I was just like, did they explain that? I don't know how that works. Um, But I did, in terms of the super science-y part of the suit, (laughs) I did enjoy uh, Lena and Brainy teaming up and their explanation of, you know, the, using the, the spherical industries nanites and bringing that from season two back into uh, the story to, to use it for another purpose. And uh, even though I don't know if I totally fully understood it, uh, I think it worked at least, you know, in terms of sciencey jargon on the show. I guess I can I can go <laughs> go with it. So it was a it was a smart way to go about it. What do you think about that Lena Brainy team up? I liked the team up. I liked it very much. In fact, they had more chemistry than other people that she's hung around with. Um, I think I like Lena most when Lena's being a scientist. But something struck me odd. Uh, about the scene with them and and I could be totally reading anything of it when she was talking to Brainy about about putting his emotions in the boxes and and that type of thing and and he asked well how do you deal with it well she was so angry she could murder it and because and then she goes on to say something about once again something she's created and all has been stolen and used for a nefarious purpose and it would Brainy was upset about Supergirl, about not being able to help Supergirl. Lena, to me, was upset because somebody stole her device and stole her thunder. <laughs> yeah. Does that did that come across that way to you or, or maybe to some of our listeners? Well, I think in the previous episode when she comes to the DEO, she does say, you know, I do care. So I think there's part of her that is wanting to do what she's doing to help Supergirl. But I think she also, there is part of her that is upset that someone has abused her stuff. So uh, no, I, I think it's I think it's a combination of both. 
Yeah. Well, it, it's but I love I love their partnership. I mean, we even saw a little bit of that uh, last season. Yeah, and uh, I I think that the science team up with them is very interesting because Lena can keep up with him. He's a tw- he's a twelfth level intellect, and she she's right there. So she's I don't I don't know where I would put her on the scale, but maybe she's. A tenth level? I don't know. She's really smart. Oh, she's yeah. She's 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 way up there with it. And see, and then and then you know the dream team. Let's put. I mean, obviously the dream team would be Brainy and Lena and Win, because she seemed to have some kind of connection with Win in techie things. But let's have Brainy and Lena and Miss Tessmacher. Yeah, that would be a fun scene. I would be into that. Um, and you brought up Lena's anger, and I guess this is where I can address this because um, I, you know, I appreciate the contrast that they tried to accomplish with this episode with characters dealing with anger issues or feeling like they're angry, and and contrasting that with you know the episode titled Ahimsa, where it's talking about nonviolence and choosing not to fight and not being angry. But for me, I've noticed that there seems to be. Uh, this pattern forming in season four where the the writing of the episodes, <laughs> like the 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 script seems to have a word of the episode that they that they want to hit really hard. And they continue to hit it over and over and over again in the episode. Um, and I, I understand the need to uh, get a theme conveyed to the audience. But for me as a viewer, it's getting a little annoying. Uh, maybe other people don't notice it as much as I do while watching the episode, but when you take the kind of notes that I do, where I'm very meticulous, I write a lot of dialogue down, and I start to notice that a lot of characters say the same things over and over again. So um, it's uh, it's getting to me a little bit, because it seems to be happening every episode this season. Like, Jean talks about anger. Lena talks about anger. Manchester uh has some anger that Fiona talks about. She says, please don't be angry. I know you'll want to. And so it's just, uh, it's, and Jean talked about, I wrote down one, two, three, four lines of dialogue where he talked about anger. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're doing too much. Even Alex talked about it. Yeah. So it just, it's kind of getting to me a little bit. I, I wish that they would go about hitting these points in other ways. Like they could do it visually where they don't hit the nail on the head. You can show somebody dealing with anger issues without having to tell the audience that they're dealing with anger issues. So I I wish the show would uh, diversify its ability to tell stories, uh, just because I I feel like they rely too much on the dialogue to tell you everything. Um, and, And I guess I'm finding that that's something that I struggle with the show a lot with, because... I don't I don't want it to hold my hand as much. And I've I've said that a couple of times on the podcast that I, I would rather them let me get to that uh conclusion on my own without them having to tell me everything. And they seem to be doing that a lot this season. Well maybe you have to admit that that you view it in a different manner than the average viewer. I, I found this uh, a friend and I used to, t- to talk about this is I used to do movie reviews for a newspaper and we had the discussion and she would help me or things like this. And she worked in, te- in, we were both working at a television station at the time. And the, 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 the idea was that we watch things or we watch these things with a different eye 
we see these things and these things stand out more to us than perhaps the average viewer. So I can understand where you're coming from and, and I agree with you at, at some points. I'm not quite where you are about it yet, but show me, don't tell me. I agree. That being said, I think what they're trying to do and trying to say and trying to do this season, I think this has been their strongest season. And and I think this week's episode was its strongest episode. So I may give them a little more leeway in that regard. But I am, again, like you, if they keep doing it, episode after episode after episode yes then it's going to get old yeah I, I just like one episode was hitting fear real hard and this one hit anger really hard and i don't know I, I i guess that's true and i think you make a really good point that we all view uh episodes and movies in a different way and i think i'm for me just knowing myself because i'm i'm a camera person i like to take you know i'm i'm trying to get better at photography i've been a videographer for a long time i'm a camera operator and so i operate on more of a visual level um so i would rather see the story told like some of my favorite movies or even tv shows like i think part of the reason i loved law so much was because there was a, a big visual component with that show as well so i think I gravitate more towards stories that use visuals and, um, you know, uh, even even to the point of, you know, a character emoting um, and just trying to feel what they're feeling. I, I think I gravitate more to that than you telling me, oh, Jean is is angry and he's going to talk about anger four times in the episode. They had one, there was one scene in this episode that I think you probably should have loved or would have loved because it had no dialogue in it. Are you talking about when uh, Alex was trying to gather herself in the locker room? Yeah. That's definitely a scene that stuck out to me. Uh, what did you think about her her arc in this episode? She she went through a little bit of a, a mini arc, as it were. So uh, uh, you, you mentioned her kind of gathering herself and kind of dealing with her emotions about how she was carrying the weight of the the burden of being director of the DEO. So what did you think about Alex? I'm going to diverge from Alex to Kyler for just a second, briefly. I thought it was probably Kyler's, one of Kyler's finest performances on the series, hands down, because she went through that, that mini arc. I love the way that they have allowed, if you go back and look at first season Alex and look at this Alex, how much this character has grown and how much she has changed and become more self-assured. Now, granted, we had a little self-doubt, and she had a pretty rough first week on the job, (laughs) but she did what Alex has always done. She stepped up and was a leader. I think she did it even in her conversation with Jean. Uh, I think in her talk with Brainy, uh, even how she reacted to getting chewed out by the president. <laughs> yeah. They put that character, and on top of all this, and that's why, to me, that scene in the locker room is so powerful, is that any other time when the weight of the world has gone down, has landed on her, she's always had Kara there to unburden herself. But this time, 
she was running a real risk of losing Kara. And she did that in there so that she would not appear weak as a leader. And, and like I said, I was just, I was very impressed with the way they wrote the character, the things they had her do this episode. I mean, they, they did take her through all these, these great moments. We had, you know, we had director Danvers, we had badass Alex out in the field fighting, uh, you know, the whack-a-mole comment. Uh, (laughs) We had, the sister scenes, and I don't mean the couch scene, that's a whole other discussion, but when Carl was waking up in the suit and when when she was laying into her because Carl went out and risked herself, and then back to, you know, what my favorite parts of the show, the space family, those scenes with, with Jean, I mean, give me just a whole episode of, like, Alex and Kara and Jean, you know, let them take John's car out for a drive or something. <laughs> those three, particularly in this episode, David and Kyler just elevated this episode to a whole other level in terms of nailing their characters and nailing the emotions. And I think the writers know when they have an episode like this or something that's going to be heavy. I mean, they knew that Melissa wasn't going to be there. They knew that somebody had to step up and carry this episode on their shoulders. And this week it was Kyler. And they are confident because they know she can do it. You know, they've given it to her time and again. You know, the last time I think she was this good was maybe changing. It just when she just dominated in terms of showing the strength. But they did a nice job in not making it totally about her. And bringing other characters in. But they did a, I thought they did a beautiful job with that little mini arc for her. Yeah, I thought Kyler really did do a good job. And I, I think you're right. I think she, and uh, David to an extent, I think they, they both sort of teamed up to, to carry the episode. But I think f- kind of looking at the the overall picture, it did seem to uh, really focus on Alex uh, in, in terms of her trying to come into her own as director of the DEO and, and how she's, she's leaning on Jean a little bit to give her some wisdom and some guidance. Cause he, he does, uh, you know, wisdom comes from, from age and experience. And Jean has a lot of that cause he's what, 300 something years old. So, so he might have a little bit more wisdom than Alex, but she, uh, she's learning, She's gaining those experiences as director of the DEO. And I thought this was a good test for her as a character to be uh, concerned about how she appears to her team and, and feel like everything was her fault, that she had let people down, that she was a failure. And she goes through that and she comes out she comes out of it not giving up. She comes out of it stronger. Yeah, and I think she proved to herself that if you didn't quit, if you didn't give up, you could come away with a win, you know, if, if you just kept going. Trust your instinct. I mean, Alex has always been the protector, but now she's the leader or the director. And I love that scene. One of my second favorite scenes is when she's laying into Supergirl after the battle at the the station and after the president has, you know, chewed her out and she's chewing into, into Kara. But at that point in that discussion, she was not Kara's or Supergirl's sister. She was the director of the DEO. 
and it's it's her standing on her two her own two feet and not reliant on anybody else to prop her up. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. Yeah, I mean, I think she has to to come to that point where she relies on herself and she relies on her her gut instinct uh, and instead of because I think at some point she's going to have to get to a point where she's not having to go to Jean all the time to get advice. I think maybe she's going to have to, you know, figure out how to be her own leader, how to be her own director of the DO. Jean had his way of doing things and Alex is going to find her groove and how she uh, is going to do things. And I, what I thought was really cool about how they uh, went about her arc is that she she started out, she was talking a, a lot about rules, about how she wants to follow the rules as a director and, and how, you know, it gives the DEO some structure, you know, play it by the book. And by the end of it, she realizes you can follow the rules, but at some point with everything that they're going through, she might have to go off script. She might have to trust her gut in, in what they're going to do in order to save the day. And I think that's a, a legitimate thing. You have to, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting after having seen the, the episode where uh, normal, average, everyday human beings are having their homes destroyed by heroes going off the script and breaking the rules. Uh, so there is a little bit of a conflict for me realizing that it would be nice if the heroes... Uh, respected, you know, home ownership while they're fighting Daxamites, but also realizing that sometimes they're just going to do whatever they have to do in order to save the day. Well, see, and Alex, I think Alex too base is is basically for being as badass as she is and and all that is very basically insecure. She seeks approval. She was starved the first couple of seasons for her mother's approval. You know, that whatever she did to take care of Kara, it was never good enough. So now she's realizing she is good enough. Yeah, and I think that comes with uh, Jean's really good line where he he asks the question, uh, you know, how do we reconcile who we are with who we want to be? And Alex says, you know, we forgive ourselves. And uh, so I, I think that's something maybe Alex has come to realize about herself is that she... You know, she 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 can only be who she can be and maybe she can strive to be better. But you can't you can't worry about what everybody else is going to think about you. Yeah. And I love the scene where they're planning the the attack. They're you know, they're responding to the attack at the fairgrounds. And she turns to Brainy and says, what are the odds? And she makes. But that's what a good leader does. She gathers all the facts and then makes her decision. Even though that decision was off the books and she knew she was going to get blowback from it, likely, well, definitely from the president. Well, and it was also uh, uh, figuring out the odds of how, how much she's going to put her sister at risk. Right. The danger still existed in the atmosphere. There was still kryptonite there and it wasn't clear of kryptonite. So... She was she was having to wager whether or not I put my sister out into the field, even though this could possibly injure or kill her. Uh, worst case scenario. But then I love the scene at the end where Brainy brings her in and, and the whole DEO applauds her. Yeah, that was sort of that acceptance. That was sort of maybe the indicative of the first time that this wasn't just. Alex acting director because Jean was out of pocket. This was Alex is the director. 
and the, the, the DEO, the agents there, everybody there realized, you know, she stepped up, but then she did, you know, what a good leader does is praise the team instead of, you know, saying, well, thank you. I did my best and blah, blah, blah. No, it was all of you because we worked together. Yeah, I thought that was nice, too, that she didn't just uh, use it as a as a way to praise herself or soak up that uh, that admiration from her agents. She did uh, use it as a, a rallying cry for the, the team and the DEO because they've been suffering some <laughs> uh, agents going rogue and people uh, getting out of the ranks. So I think this was a, a good way to unify them again. Well, maybe this is a good... Good point to bring up a question I have. Sure. The scene where she's getting chewed out by the president. Okay. I thought at first the the president's line something about that he's tolerated her. I found I found that just borderline misogynistic to me. I just don't I'm not a hundred percent sure he would have said that had Jean been the head of the DEO. I don't know. I'm I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But what I found interesting was, is he's saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to. And then the colonel leans in and whispers something in his ear and he gets this funny look on his face and he backs off. What do you think she whispered to him? I have two theories. One is, you know, well, here we can step in, you know, back. I'm harkening back to, to season one where Sam Lane in the military wanted to take over the DEO. And this woman said, well, here, we can step in and do this. Or did she step in and say, I wouldn't threaten this woman because she's Supergirl's sister? Huh. I, that's something I didn't think about. Uh, I would lean more towards the uh, first theory. Uh, it, that was that was my initial reading of it was that she just offered to the president, hey, uh, I'll go and supervise them and make sure they're they're doing the right thing. Um, that's that's kind of how I saw that. Um, but I, I think that's a good uh, throwback mention that that you sort of paralleled it to Sam Lane and the DEO. Even uh, Lucy Lane came in, and I think Lucy was director of the DEO for a hot minute there. Uh, so uh, yeah, the the military and the DEO haven't <laughs> gone. Uh, real well together. They, they've butted heads a little bit there in the past. So uh, I, I don't know what kind of supervision this is going to entail for Alex, uh, but it will be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, so uh, we talked a little bit about Alex. Um, so there was also a big thing that went down in this episode. It was, it was, it was both big and small. Small in terms of screen time and a story, but it's also a big thing in terms of consequences. So James, uh, he's 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 listening to police scanners in his CatCo office. He's deciding whether or not he's going to go out and and help out as guardian uh, in in the field when he knows things are going down at the fairgrounds, and he decides to do it, even though Nia, who seems to be ha- uh, having some. Uh, some uh, powers maybe while she's falling asleep at work. <laughs> uh, maybe she's getting some uh, premonitions of sorts and he goes and does it anyway. Uh, so what did you think, Donna, about James deciding to go back out into the field, even though that could uh, put him in trouble with uh, the law? I'm going to put it up front that I have never been a fan of Guardian. 
I'm not sure other than setting up Agent Liberty using him like he did in the end, why it was necessary for him to be at the fairgrounds at all. So um, I was enjoying watching James actually be the head or be the CEO of CatCo. And he's been doing a great job of it this season. That being said, he did what, you know, he followed just like everybody else that made choices this week. He made the decision. He followed his gut. He followed his gut and his gut told him to go and to help. For that, I commend him, like I said. But I think, I can't help think that Lockwood is is a lot more uh, calculating and got a psychological war planned instead of it being brute force. He knows he cannot defeat the aliens uh, physically, alien by alien by alien, but he, he, he seems to be very adept at psychological warfare. So if he knows that Guardian is a friend of Supergirl's and then he turns Guardian into the symbol for the anti-alien groups, well, that puts pressure on everybody. Like everybody else, James's actions had consequences, and Lena came and chewed him out, was like, why did you go back out there when you know what could have happened? I mean, this was something, you know, we should have discussed together. Yeah, especially since Lena, and and he doesn't know this, but Lena helped him out uh, trying to get him out of trouble. I was I was confused, though, because they kept hitting the point that if James goes out as Guardian, he'll be arrested. And even Nia comes in and she uh, tries to remind him that what he's doing at CatCo is important, that he doesn't have to go out as Guardian. And she reinforces the fact that if James uh, goes out there, he could be prosecuted for a, quote, continued instances of the same crime, uh, same crime, unquote. So... It seemed like there were a lot of legal ramifications for him to go out there, but at the at the end, he's like, "No, I spoke with my lawyer. No new charges. No indictment. Uh, the cops might even deputize Guardian, so he thinks everything's going to be fine and dandy." So I'm a little com- confused as to what the consequences actually are for Guardian. Is it bad if he goes out, or if it's totally chill and everybody's fine? But I think what was good in the writing is that the moment that he thinks everything is good and fine is the moment he realizes that he's just played into Agent Liberty's hand. The iPad that Nia gives him and the articles has got Ben Lockwood's name on it. So now they're going to be investigating Ben Lockwood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that seems really dumb on his part. Why would you put your, your actual your name, name on there? That's like Internet 101. Why would you why would you do that <laughs> if you didn't want people to know who you are? Can we give a shout-out, too, about the, the way the writers are slowly developing Nia's powers? Yeah, because uh, we've seen her fall asleep at work before. Did you notice on that scene last week um, where James goes and she's asleep on her desk? Did you notice what's on her desk? No, what's on her desk? If you'll go back and watch it, in one little basket, it's got like, it says energy powder. And another one says like Red Bull (laughs) or cans of energy drinks or things. Something that somebody would use to stay awake. Yeah, and it's so funny because the first time she fell asleep, I thought it was just because she was 
just pounding the pavement at Catco. She was determined, and I guess it plays in a, a like a dual layer here. But I just thought she was she was one so badly to make a good impression at her new job that she was just working those hours. And so I thought maybe she'd just been falling asleep because she'd been working a lot. But then this week I was like. Oh, dummy it's because that's how she's using her abilities the first time she fell asleep and and woke up and and she goes coffee i need coffee why would she go to a pizza parlor for espresso you know that's that's a really good question why would she go to a pizza parlor and ask if they make espresso maybe she knew there was something that was gonna go down go down it's a good it's a good point although maybe Maybe that pizza place just has really good espresso. Maybe it's like the talk of the town. Did Noonan's get destroyed in the Daxamite invasion? Noonan's is old news. Nobody goes to Noonan's anymore, Donna. <laughs> That's that is that is just not where everybody hangs out now. It Noonan's is old news. Uh, so yes, so that's a good point though, that maybe that that was connected, the, the pizza parlor incident could have been connected to her knowing that something was there. I actually didn't think about that last, uh, uh, that last time. So that, uh, is a good point. So I, now I'm going to be watching every time and it's, I don't know if people are going to notice this at Cat or her coworkers going to be like, why is that new girl falling asleep all the time? <laughs> we fell asleep at our desk. We get fired. You would totally get fired in the real world if that happened. But uh, so it makes me wonder if she knows she has these abilities. I, you know, I think she does, given the way she talked with Brainy in the alley after the incident. It's like he kept saying, do I know you? You know, and, and, well, how do I find you? And, and it's like, well, you'll find a way. I mean, I thought that was so very cryptic of her that that I think she knows. I mean, I'm not real familiar with the history of this character or this, this uh, the dreamer that she's supposed to become, or at least that's what we're assuming the direction they're going. But is she from the future? Could she have come back? Uh, As far as I understand what they're doing with Nia is that she is connected to the character Dream Girl, who is from the future. Okay. Dream Girl is actually her descendant, Nia's descendant. So, um, so Nia is sort of the, the, the precursor to Dream Girl. Dream Girl. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, I, I, I watch the show for a lot of reasons, and and I am a comic book fan, but I am not a comic book fan to the level or with the knowledge that a lot of people watch it. I give them, you know, leeway when a character is not quite 100% like they are in comic book canon, as long as it's a good character and they're telling me a good story. I'll give them the leeway. Yeah, I usually will too, except for Snapper Car being on the show and not snapping. That's it's completely unacceptable. Yeah, I would agree with you. In, I would agree with you on that. Unacceptable. I think they're doing uh, a, a very good job in a number of their stories. Is that they're being very deliberate and very careful in the way that they're laying them out. Even, even I know people are anxious and excited and up, you know, upset, and they're wanting to see, you know, Red Daughter or Russian Supergirl or whatever they're, you know, whatever the the moniker is going to end up being. But that's a story that needs to slowly e- evolve, and 
we're we're in the midst of agent liberty right now let's let's let that run its course and then i have a feeling you know most of the second half of the season is going to be red daughter yeah we did get to see a little glimpse of her in this week's episode she uh was affected by the kryptonite uh like our akara and she seemed to be training for something so i'm very curious about that um, well, let's uh, let's wrap up our discussion about the episode. What are, what are your overall thoughts about Ahimsa? I actually thought Ahimsa was, as I stated earlier, I think it was. It's been the strongest episode of the season. I thought uh, so many characters, without it, it getting lost, but so many characters had so many great moments in this episode, but they all wove together in a very strong story. And anybody who knows me and knows about my love for Supergirl knows that, that my love for Supergirl sort of begins and ends with the sisterhood so that we had such strong sisterhood theme and moments running through this episode I was a happy camper. Yeah, there are a lot of great moments between Carr and Alex in this one, for sure. Well, and for example, the and 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 I think you can tell it that they had so much fun with it is our, our infamous famous couch scene, our last couch scene. And if memory is serving correct from a, an Instagram photo or something that I think Kyler posted or something, that scene was the first scene she and Melissa filmed together for this season. That's a, that's a very cool moment. It's a good way to, to bring uh, Melissa back in there and uh, to have them, um, it, you know, have that, that moment together. Um, well, for me, I, I like this episode quite a bit. I'm, I'm still kind of like, okay, the writing needs to chill, chill with repeating words all the time. Uh, but for the most part, I liked this one. I really, uh, I, I enjoyed the Supergirl suit more than I thought I would. I really loved the perspective shots in the, the precinct fight where I, I actually felt like I was Supergirl in the suit punching people. <laughs> like, that was pretty cool. Um, I, I thought Melissa did a great job of emoting from inside, uh, you know, having to just kind of do everything with her face. I thought she did a really good job there. Um, I really liked the Lena and uh, Brainy team up. I thought the Alex stuff was good. I'm a little confused, though, about Alex because we're four episodes into season four and she hasn't talked about her desire for motherhood. Uh, that was such a big thing for Alex last season. And I just realized this week, I was like, they haven't addressed that at all. We're four episodes into this new season, and they're not even mentioning it. But we're four episodes into it, but I think maybe in their timeline we're not, and we've had immediate disasters. So I'm, I'm going to give them a, a little bit of leeway on that. I think it's in her mind. Yeah, I mean, she she may be still talking about it. I just thought from a writing perspective that they haven't yeah. oh, gone, gone back to it. I agree. Yeah, but but you make a good point that maybe in the timeline of the story, it could be, you know, a week later. Uh, so it, that that's a good point. Um, but I thought the, the for the most part, the action was really good. The drama was really good. The uh, There were a lot of good emotional scenes. Um, and I liked Manchester Black, but I would really like to see him have some powers. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's coming. Um, I was uh, concerned about Mercy and Otis, though. 
uh, we'll we'll, talk, we'll maybe talk about that a little more in some feedback because there were some uh, listeners who had some thoughts about Mercy and Otis and what goes down with them. Uh, so I guess we can talk about that there. But um, this episode I thought was uh, really good in terms of furthering the, the story in terms of the characters gave some of these characters a little bit of a, a mini arc. So uh, especially Alex, I, I thought that that was really, really well done. Well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion, but uh, let's uh, find out what our listeners had to say about this week's episode, Ahimsa. So we'll start with at SL Fricky, who says, I'd complain about Mercy and Otis's incredible abrupt deaths, but that's what happens when you disrespect Bebo. Uh, yeah, so we, we got a, a good positive thing, which was a Bebo reference. Uh, we actually saw a Bebo stuffed uh, toy, uh, like a, I guess it was a prize for winning one of the games at the fairgrounds. So that was really fun. Uh, but then it came at the cost of uh, Mercy and Otis apparently dying. So Donna, do you think they're dead? Do you think that's it for them? I certainly hope not. There, there was so much potential and I love the parallel of the siblings, the, the good siblings and the evil siblings, you know, of Cara and Alex versus Mercy and Otis. And I'm sorry, after that first encounter at Camp David between Alex and Mercy, we deserved at least another throwdown between the two of them. And and all we got was her Mercy talking at her, well, why are you doing this? Why are you defending them? Now, I, I hope not. I, I'd like to think, you know, we thought at first that, you know, F- Fiona was already dead. So maybe, maybe not. And you'll have to remember the Halgramite spikes, unless it just, where it hit Mercy, it, it went straight into her heart. But you can survive a strike from a Halgramite. Alex has got to have a scar on her leg from when she got punctured with one in first season. Yeah, Alex went toe-to-toe with the Halgramite in season one. Yeah, I I really hope that they're not dead. I maybe I'll have to, you know, come to reality and have a reality check and 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 get through my denial, but I just <laughs> I can't imagine that the show would kill Mercy and Otis off in episode 4 when they have announced that they're going to bring Lex Luthor into the season. Why would you do that? If it was me, if this was my show, I would want to have that whole Luthor family together oh yeah lex lillian lena otis mercy miss tessmacher i would want all of them there when lex shows up so i can't imagine they would off them and just be done with them i just i can't imagine because last season i will cling to a little bit of hope thomas coville at one point it looked like he was a goner and then he popped back up in the finale but then i think he died again so uh, I'm just, I'm hoping that maybe they will have miraculously survived somehow and they're, they're t- pulling through. Uh, but Jensen seemed to be convinced that they were dead. Jensen was too busy running and saving his own hide. That's and true. He was, he was saving the parasite. So what is it? The, the, it's, you know, it's, they're not really dead until you see the, the dead, dead body. That's right. No body, no death. That's a, that's an old, uh. I, I guess it bl- plays for any visual medium, but I, I think about that with soap operas. If I don't see your dead body, you you didn't die in that explosion, that fiery explosion. That's just that's how it happens on the Young and the Restless. So I assume that that's the that's the rule everywhere. Well, you know, that's they 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 kind of spoof that in in 
There was a very funny movie. In fact, uh, one of the Terry Hatcher was in it was a very funny movie called Soap Dish. Soap Dish, no lie. One of my favorite movies of all time. Probably my number one favorite. And they, what is it? They bring back a character that had been decapitated. (laughs) You know what decapitation means. It means he doesn't have a head. He's got no lips, no vocal cords. What do you want me to do? So um, that's a, yeah, I love uh, love that movie. But to your point, yeah, I, I sincerely hope we have not seen the last of Mercy and Otis. I love Rona's interpretation of the characters. I know that they were maybe a little over the top for some people, but I think that was just those characters. Those characters were supposed to be over the top. Good vibes only for Mercy and Otis. Maybe they'll maybe they'll pull through and, and pop back up uh, in another episode. So um, we'll we'll have to see. I'm I, I'm not I'm not crying for them yet because I'm still in the denial stage. All right, well, let's get back to our tweets. So at Aildu says, uh, for a sec, I thought that Lena's advice on how to deal with emotions was going to be scotch. Do you think that when we see her drinking is when she thinks about her stored feelings? Hmm. Anyway, I need more scenes of Lena and Brainy working together. Jesse and Katie are fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about Lena's advice. Uh, she's, she's like, you know, I want you to take those, those feelings and shove them deep down until you forget you had them in the first place. And I was like, that's terrible advice. You need to talk to somebody. You can't just store those up forever. But, you know, that's not the first Arrowverse show to use that analogy. Yeah, I believe, I think we have a snap judgment about that later. So, uh, we, we will, uh, maybe, maybe we'll hit that there. But yeah, you are absolutely right on that. Uh, well, at Patty Mello 20 says, it's offensive the way they killed off Mercy. I agree. She deserved a great death, not that laziness. They tried to do too much in this episode. The James Guardian thing and the attack on the DEO were worth a whole episode. That, I could, I could see the justification for that. Uh, at Patty Mello 20 says, the best thing of this episode was Alex and Lena's hair. Uh, yes, she, uh, Lena was just looking all kinds of classy. Uh, so yeah, as, as she always does. Your co-host is fond of the, uh, the necklines, the square necklines. Yes. You know that, uh, Lena is coming with a powerful look when you can see her clavicle. Uh, (laughs) that's, that's when you know she's at her most powerful. That, that's our theory anyway. Uh, that's, uh, that's what we make of, of her, uh, her looks. But yeah, she, she was, uh, bringing the class this, uh, this episode, especially there at the end. Uh, well, at Madtown Davidson says, I like Manchester Black a lot. He's funny, he's heartbreaking, and he's menacing. I love that guy already. At Matthew X. Clark says, since when does the new kid get to tell the boss what to do? Anyone else think Nia and James is a strange working relationship? Also, best line of the episode was, quote, how do we reconcile who we are and who we want to be? And, uh, and we, we have to forgive ourselves, unquote. Yeah, the the Nia thing, um, she does seem to be a, a new reporter, and she seems to have a lot of access with the boss. <laughs> uh, so I guess that you could see that as a little strange, um, because she's all up in the boss's business. But, uh, but what, what I think is really interesting about that is it, it almost seems like James is Nia's mentor. Right. Originally, it was supposed to be Kara was the mentor, but Kara's been MIA. Do you think that she is, without realizing it, they're giving Nia that access because she was sent to them by Kat? Yeah, I mean, that's what we've been told. And I wonder if Kat knows more about 
what Nia's abilities are and if she sent Nia for, for a reason more than just to be a reporter. I don't know. Uh, so that's, that's a good question to ask. Well, at Kenny Crayley says, the tech inside the Supergirl suit is amazing. Mercy Graves and Agent Liberty continue to be great baddies this season, and Sam Witwer is so good as Ben Lockwood and Agent Liberty. And uh, our last tweet is at Jesso13, who says, Body language is a huge part of Melissa's acting as both Kara and Supergirl, but her acting with just her facial expressions and voice in this episode, and probably even being filmed alone and offset while on Broadway, is still so full of emotion. Glad we got a couch scene, too. And I agree at Jesso13. I think Melissa was, I mean, she's always great. She's always fantastic in the acting department, but I think she was especially good this week. Well, and we have an email. Uh, we have a question from Danielle, who wrote it in an email, who asks, uh, who asks, quote, we got a hint about Nia's powers when she went to confront James about not being Guardian because she had, quote, a feeling about something bad would happen, unquote. Do you think we'll soon get to see one of Nia's dreams in a future episode? How do they work? Does she see the whole thing play out or does she get little snippets? I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, unquote. So Donna, how do you think things might play out with Nia's powers? Do you think we'll get an episode explaining how they work? Do you think we'll get to see uh, what she's dreaming about and, and see how she gets her visions? Possibly. It's, it's, it's intriguing to see how they're going about it. Now, it's more like it's precognition than it is dreams, but she's doing it while she's asleep, so we equate it being dreams. Yeah, it is it is kind of uh, a little bit, even for me, hard to understand about, especially dream girls' um, abilities. She does get, uh, I would say they're more visions instead of dreams. That's how I kind of equate it in my head, is that she's she's getting information in, in those in those dreams she's getting uh either a, a full view or she's getting bits, bits and pieces it would be interesting to see later on as as maybe her powers have been dormant and awakening because i know when they were first talking about her coming on how her journey was going to be kind of like Kara's and supergirls in the first season coming into her powers and coming into you know accepting them and using them so is is are these visions and things are they going to start manifesting themselves to where she's going to start seeing them more than when she's asleep yeah i mean that's a good question i don't know if she's you know just kind of thinking that she has a bad feeling about something or is she going to get to the point where she starts to realize hey i'm i'm starting to get these more and more this this is something that that I can uh, do something about. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of, of what her uh, powers might manifest as. They have done such a wonderful job with the new additions to the cast this season. Yeah, I think for the most part, Nia's, um, Nia's been uh, pretty good, except she keeps falling asleep at work. Yeah, and I, I have a problem with how short her skirts are. That's just not me work appropriate catco's never been known for having a completely appropriate work attire <laughs> i mean lena lena luther wears whatever she wants to uh so <laughs> i guess that that spills from the the top down into just the uh the the bullpen with the reporters okay are we ready for another email yeah let's do it okay we have a, an email from greg h who writes quote it was nice being able to see desert deo facility again the return of the Helgramite being played by the same actor, Justice Leak, was another great throwback to season one. Plus, 
Jean conversing with Alex and the DEO, Cara and Alex eating together on the couch, and even a cameo by Cat Grant just gave me the best season one feels. Yeah, that's that's true. It did feel a little bit like a throwback to season one, and I'm glad they brought Justice League back. Um, he he's he's an Alabama boy where I grew up, uh, so I actually. I think he went to Auburn, but we don't talk about that. Um, so uh, I'm an Alabama fan. You're talking to an Ole Miss graduate, so. Oh, well, we, we all have these SEC rivals. <laughs> uh, so so uh, it was nice that he came back and they, they brought him back to cause more trouble. So, yeah, it was it was nice to see that uh, that old DEO again. I think I like the, the new DEO a little bit better in the inside. They maybe for whatever stumbles – they've taken to get to this season. Like I said, I think this season has, has is coming together very nicely and for a very strong season. And they've done that by going back to the basics, that, that stronger focus on, on the sisterhood, the space family, um, those types of things. And even the way that they threaded the show's history through the agent Liberty episode, they, are respecting and learning what got them this far and and sort of going back and paying respects to it. Yeah, that's been really nice to see as a, as a you know, as a fan of the show, you, you like to see the things that you remember and that you have fondness for. So I I've been enjoying that this season. Well, uh Daryl wrote in with this question Quote, were the Russians working on their own solution to the kryptonite problem, or did they somehow know the DEO was working on it and decided to wait until they figured out the problem for them? And if so, how could they possibly have known, unquote? Uh, that's a great question, Daryl. Um, I don't know. I don't think we know uh, a lot of information yet about what this uh, red daughter is doing over in Russia. Who are these people she's hanging out with? What is she training for? How did they know about the I guess they would know about the kryptonite if she went out of that bunker she was in and she started feeling sick. Um, I guess they would have put that, you know, uh, put two and two together that she's somehow affected by that. Because uh, I would imagine that people in Russia know who Supergirl is. Well, didn't have, I mean, it wasn't that part of that, that the the very opening sequence of this season. She was flying around the world. And I mean, she speaks Russian to the woman who gives her the bottle of vodka. Yeah, so I imagine that <laughs> may, maybe I'm putting too much faith in, in these nameless people we don't know who they are yet but the people who have red daughter in their custody maybe they know hey this chick looks like supergirl and she we take her outside and she's being affected by something it's obviously kryptonite so let's kind of wait it out and see if things change i don't know i don't know if they know about the deo but uh they definitely knew about kryptonite what if if this training and everything is going on under a subsidiary of Luther Corps and maybe Lex is pulling the strings from prison. You never know. Lex Luther could be up to no good. He uh, he definitely could. All right. We've got another email uh, from Annika who wrote in with a theory saying, I think I know where most of the aliens came from. They escaped from the slave traders. Hmm. We saw that in season two, and we saw that it was possible to escape. So I think most of them flew to Earth. And I think this is addressing the theory is of, of where did all the aliens suddenly come from on 
Supergirl's Earth. Yeah, so so the, I mean, there's there's the obvious that there, some of them came from Fort Ross. We we did see that there were some roaming around National City from Fort Ross, but it it season four has made it seem like it's a country, you know, you know, a nationwide situation that there's lots of aliens running around. So uh, I don't know how how many uh, Fort Ross could contain. But it just seemed like there were so many. So we t- started talking about where where did some of these aliens come? They were even, uh, Fiona was over in England. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I think that's a good point that um, they could have come from Slaver's Moon uh, when, when Supergirl went up, went up there to to set them free. So it's, it's possible. That's a very good theory. A very good theory. Well, Emily wrote in with a question asking, quote, when toward the end of the episode, Manchester uh, Black said they needed to get Fiona to the hospital, I couldn't help but wonder, are human hospitals equipped to deal with the various alien species and their varied physiological makeups? Are the hospitals just like, bring us your injured and we'll do our best? Or maybe they were referring to an unnamed alien hospital out there somewhere. I really appreciate uh, that question, Emily, uh, because they do have an unnamed alien bar, so they could have an unnamed alien hospital. Didn't John make reference when he started meeting with Fiona's group there and all that at, at some point he called it Al's Bar? So does the alien bar now have a name? Yeah, that's that's come up a little bit. Uh, so I don't uh, that it was never made clear. I don't know if the bar was called Al's Bar or if they were just saying, hey, that bar that Al owns. Um so I don't know if that was the, the name of the bar or not. But please, if they're going to make the bar uh, a central location, we have to have another karaoke night. I, d- I, just, I just need them to clarify what that bar's name is. I don't, I don't think they've fully given us an official name. But yeah, it's a great question about the hospitals. Uh, I know the DEO, I want to say the DEO kind of uh, worked on, on, on aliens if they needed to. They've definitely, they've definitely done some things. Uh, especially on Kara, they worked on Kara, but uh, yeah, I don't. Know, it's, a, it's a great question. I guess doctors, you know, they're they're going to take them if they bring them to the hospital. So I guess they can try to figure something out. Uh, that that would be another great uh, thing to explore if the show wanted to to go there and and uh, and show us what happens to those sort of everyday things we've seen. Uh, we've heard uh, conversations about home insurance. Maybe they could talk to us uh, about medical insurance with these aliens. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a great question. I have no idea. Well, we have a, uh, another email. Well, not another, but we have an email from Sarah who says, quote, I was just wondering what your interpretation on Manchester Black was. What do you think his revenge will be? Which part of the Agents of Liberty group will be targeted the most? Unquote. It does seem like he will be going after... Well, see, I don't know if he can go after Mercy and Otis because the show has made it seem like they've died. So I don't know if he'll he'll be able to go after uh, the people who took her. But I guess I guess he's going to eventually find a, uh, Agent Liberty. That's my guess. And when I wonder too if he's is he going to go after Jensen? This poor guy, Jensen's got such a target on his back. So many people want a piece of him. Well, Jensen has the advantage right now because... He's parasite. He's gotten a parasite in him that allows him to take people's uh, super abilities. So is it possible that that may be where maybe Manchester Black gets his? Oh, maybe. He gets infected with the parasite or a part of it or something? Well, we have an email from Mark who asks, quote, Does it feel to you 
that between Man of Steel, last week's episode, and this episode, the new showrunners are deliberately trying to tie up what they perceive as loose ends from the Andrew uh, Kreisberg's tenure on, from Andrew Kreisberg's tenure on the show. First, we flash back to to all the season-ending disasters. Yes, if you live in National C- City, definitely go spend May in Palm Springs. <laughs> uh, it definitely hits me that they're tweaking the old reg- regime in some way, unquote. Um, I, I think we addressed this a little bit earlier on when we were talking about the episode, but uh, Mark, I think they're just honoring the show's history. I think they're the, the, the way that they're going back to the alien invasions and all of that, I think that's just a natural progression into the season storyline. They're using what they've done in the past to, to develop new story. And I, I think they're just honoring the show's history. Um, I, I don't know if they're trying to get rid of some of the, the takes from the Andrew Kreisberg era. I can maybe see your point with Parasite because they're doing a, a, a different take on it now. But... I don't know. I just see it as as honoring the show's history. And I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, I think some of the things that were part of primarily part of the Kreisberg era or the Kreisberg storylines were storylines that either got dropped or came to an abrupt end in in season three. So I I don't I don't see it quite that way like i said i agree with rebecca that they're paying uh homage or they're they're showing their respect for the foundation that they built in creating the show and are moving forward with it uh do you want to keep going with uh joseph's email joseph's got an email and it says um quote the standout parts of the episode for me were john's arc and lena's scene with brainy I thought Jean's difficulty to stick with his vow, regardless of the results, were great, especially after what we saw last episode when we see the results of him fighting the Daxamites. It amazes me how much character I got from the maybe three-minute scene with Lena and Brainy and the box metaphor. While telling of how Lena has handled things in the past, but also a potential foreshadow of what will happen with Lex later in the season. Oh, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting angle, but... I would say a valid one. Well, uh, Lena did say that she was so angry that she could murder someone. So I, I, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to see anybody, even legs, cross that path because that seems uh, dangerous for whoever comes in Lena's way when she's that angry. Uh, Well, Sam wrote in to share a theory, writing, quote, I have a theory that it was the vice president who tipped off Mercy uh, Mercy Graves that President Marsden was an alien. If this was a British show, such as uh, the show Yes, Minister, uh, hilarious, educational, and still highly relevant, by the way, uh, is what Sam says. Uh, Sam goes on to say he would have done it just so that he could become president and not because he has any higher ideals, unquote. Yeah, a lot of listeners seem to think that President Baker is not a good guy. I didn't personally have that uh, reaction the first time we met him. He had a really sweet scene with Supergirl. Uh, but I can see why people think that. Uh, so I guess we, we just need more information from him. And here's, oh, here's a fun one for our last email from Leslie, who asked, which Supergirl character would like which pie? Apple, cherry, pumpkin, pecan, coconut, rhubarb, or some other pie? 
Okay, Donna, this is a great question, a very important question. So let's uh, just go through some characters really quickly. Kara, uh, which which pie would she like the most? Well, Kara's favorite pie, I think they established in season one, is Eliza's chocolate pecan. Yeah, oh, she she was very excited about that pie for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would definitely go with that. That's a good call for Kara. Um, Alex, what would you say about Alex? She told us in the episode that rhubarb, was her favorite. Yep. So we got rhubarb, rhubarb for Alex. Uh, what about James? Ooh, James. Maybe pumpkin. I could see that. Pumpkin's a solid choice. Kind of a traditional kind of, and he's sort of a traditional kind of guy. I could see that. I was sort of thinking along the same lines, uh, but with apple, a good, good old American, American apple, apple pie. pie. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, James is a, is a good stand-up guy, so I could see that uh, maybe there. Uh, Lena. What kind of pie are we thinking for Lena? What would she eat? Maybe coconut, something a little exotic. Oh, see, I I um I pulled up a list of pies because I, I just wanted to make sure I had a, a a good selection. So for Lena, I think you're right. I think Lena would probably want a, a classier pie, a more upscale, fancier uh, pie. So I I took I got a list, and so I think from from this list that I have. Uh, I don't, I've never had a French silk pie. Oh, yes. Uh, that seems fancy. Uh, I also maybe would give it up to like a chiffon, like a pumpkin chiffon or a key lime chiffon. Uh, so, so or, or a meringue. She might be a meringue person. Uh, but I think I'm going to go French silk. That sounds fancy and Lena Luthor like. That, that's good. That's good. All right, what about Brainy? Uh, Brainy, I, I know he was an apple olives pizza guy. Right. So I'm guessing some kind of apple. I don't know if you would put, uh, maybe he would still put olives in a pie. But I don't know, caramel apple? Oh, that's that's a good one. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going apple-based apple for Brainy. Okay. Uh, so Jean. Jean actually, you know, remember when Alex went to dinner with Jean and his father, Jean made chocolate pie. So the, the characters seem to have established pie preferences on the show already. <laughs> a number of them have, yes. <laughs> so we don't really have to guess on these. We already know the answer. Okay, so Nia, what what, what would Nia like? There's sort of a, a wholesomeness and an innocence to her. So that would say maybe, like, I hate to go back to Apple, but maybe Apple again. But maybe maybe there's just a little bit of, uh, um, uh, what, I'm struggling to find the word. But uh, maybe a little bit of a, a tart and flavor to it, so maybe she'd like cherry pie. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. Um, I th- I think Nia, you know, she came on to the scene wanting to pitch that story about the fashion district. So I kind of I'm I'm going along a little bit of the same lines as as Lena. Lena's probably a little classier, fancier, just because she has more money. You know, Nia's a, a struggling <laughs> reporter, uh, so she probably doesn't earn as much as Lena does. But I maybe go with a with a, with a a chiffon, maybe a meringue, maybe a, like a lemon meringue, maybe a lemon meringue. Lemon meringue? I, I yeah. would see that. I would see that. Yeah, I, I, I see lemon. Oh, that sounds good. Lemon meringue pie. So good. All right. So we've we talked about like all of our heroes and what kind of pie. But let's let's do a let's do a, another take on the pie situation. What do you think Ben Lockwood slash Agent Liberty. What's his go-to pie? Probably simplistic reasoning, but he sees himself as a patriot. So there's nothing more patriotic than apple pie. Yeah, I think in in his perspective, he would go apple pie for sure. But that was a, that was a fun question. What a great and important question, Leslie. Thank you for sending that in.
Uh, well, we have uh, two voicemails. Uh, one is from Jordan, and the other one is from Mauricio. Hello, Supergirl Radio. This is Jordan Valdez calling in about the episode Ahimsa. Uh, I absolutely love this episode. I think that uh, it's the second straight episode where Supergirl has given us a super tragic villain origin story and really delve deep into uh, how someone becomes a villain uh, with Manchester Black this episode. I think that David Ajala is bringing a super entertaining performance to the role and really capturing the character's personality. I'm loving it. Uh, there were two moments, uh, uh, moving on from the tragic backstory of Manchester Black, uh, two moments that really cracked me up in this episode were seeing Bebo on Earth-38, which I knew was coming in this episode because I'd seen footage from this episode, and uh, Bebo was actually spotted in some of the footage from uh, the Comic-Con trailer this year. So I knew he was coming this episode, and then he showed up, and I love Bebo, so I love that. And the other moment that cracked me up was Otis mentioning Otisburg. I absolutely love that. I was just waiting for Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor to pop out and be like, Otisburg? So I absolutely love that. It uh, looks like we're seeing maybe uh, some hints of Nia's uh, precognitive abilities uh, with her predicting that something bad was going to happen with Guardian going back out there uh, in the field. Uh, so I love that. Uh, I love seeing Supergirl's new suit in action. Um, I love the way they visualize. It reminds me a lot of what Legend of Tomorrow does. Well, first Arrow, now Legend of Tomorrow with uh, Ray Palmer in the Atom suit. Uh, so I love the visualization of that. Um there were some great moments between Alex and John in this episode that I absolutely loved as well. Um, but, yeah, just overall an absolutely super episode of Supergirl this week. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts. Kalana forever. Bye-bye. Something we didn't talk about, but uh, Otis sort of seemed like he was going to say Otisburg, which was a throwback to the uh, Donnerverse movies with Christopher Reeve. Uh, so that was a, kind of, uh, a fun little Easter egg. Hey, Supergirl Radio. Marisa here with another call-in. So yeah, I think they're going, they're taking the steps from Arrow from last season, where the first 12 episodes was the A plot, and the last 12 episodes with the B plot, where our A plot is Ancient Liberty, and the B plot Red Sun Car, which I actually don't mind. So yes, and also Bebop, Bebo, not, he has become a universal translation, not only in the Arrowverse, but in Car's planet as well. But anyways, um, two things. One, did I miss some dialogue with Manchester Black? Because I know in the comics he has powers, but either the accent or something, I, I don't understand if he has powers or not. And two, um, Kara, I know the Otis people were bad and when they died, but why did you smile so brightly? Um, they died. I'm like, what? That was weird. So yeah, and I feel bad for James because they're going to like put a bad spin on him, and I think this might how he gets off the show. Not in a bad way. I really don't want to. But yeah, awesome show. And everyone called it that that president was evil because you don't have an IMBD of past shows being the main villain and just have a one-second appearance. But can't wait to hear your thoughts and everything. Take care and adios. Bye. Uh, Mauricio also wonders about Manchester Black having powers. I would love to know the answer to that question. I think, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm crossing my fingers. I hope it's coming. Um, and he also mentions that he thinks guarding getting in trouble with the law is how he might be written off the show. Uh, I don't know that that's, I mean, they could go that route, but I don't personally see it happening that way. Uh, but I think, actually, I think the, uh, the opposite, that this storyline with him getting in trouble uh, by being guardian, it could open up some story instead of close it off. So I don't know. They could go either way. 
and he also thinks, uh, Mauricio thinks that President Baker is evil. So I'm, I'm holding out judgment on President Baker. I think he was a little upset this week just because somebody under his, uh, under his uh, authority had screwed up. So I think that's a, perfect, a perfectly reasonable uh, reaction to some things going south. So I'm going to hold out judgment on President Baker until I get more information. I'm um, just trying to be fair. Well, and, 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 and fair enough. And, and, and in fairness, I mean, he did that. I mean, you know, him chewing Alex out as the head of the DEO was, would be like any boss or any, any CEO of any company. If somebody screwed up or somebody's division screwed up, the head of the division takes the heat. And, and I think he was just as justified in yelling at Alex as Alex was in yelling at Supergirl because she disobeyed her. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Uh, you see a little bit of parallels. Uh, Alex had to be a little bit of a President Baker when she went in there with Kara. She was like, I am in charge and you have a final warning and we're, this is how we're doing it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of people having to be a leader and uh, have show some authority from their positions. Um, all right. Well, thank you for all of that feedback. But before we read, uh, wrap up our feedback se- section, we have some snap judgments sent in by our listeners. In the game of snap judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. The first one is from Shang, who uh, asks, who said it better? So here's here's your first option. Lena Luther saying, quote, I want you to take all of your feelings and shove them into tiny boxes, and then I want you to shove them down until you forget you have feelings in the first place, unquote. That's your first option. The second option is Sarah Lance from Legends of Tomorrow saying, quote, I want you to take all of your feelings and put it in a box. Then I want you to close the box and then lock the box, unquote. So who said it better, better Donna? I'm going to go with Sarah Lance on this one because I actually think I rem- I'm recalling the context that both statements were made, and I thought Sarah's was more to the point. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm not as much of a Sarah Lance fan. I'm more of a Laurel Lance fan, uh, but I'm going to go Sarah Lance on this one because I feel like Lena. She had way too many things going on in that box metaphor. She was like, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And Sarah was just like, put your feelings in a box and lock it. And and actually, in an irony, that was at a time when Sarah was, if I'm remembering correctly, when she said this, it was at a time when Sarah was taking command of the Wave Rider on Legends. So it was Sarah coming into her own and learning to be a leader. So I could see the parallel, I guess. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, Sarah Lance, clear winner on the snap judgment. Uh, well, the, sac- the second snap judgment is from Mark, who asks, apples and olives or or mashed potato, bacon, and scallion? Uh, no, are we talking pizza here or what? I think we're talking pizza. If we're talking pizza, apples and olives. See, mashed potato, bacon, and scallion doesn't seem like something I would go to, but I think I would try it. I do love mashed potatoes. I love bacon. And I can put up with scallion. I can maybe pick it off if I needed to. But olives, they're just, I can't do it. So <laughs> I think I would pick mashed potato, bacon, and scallion on this one. See, I might, that, I mean, apples and olives don't sound bad. But then again, I'm a person, I, I don't know, this is probably going to be controversial, but I'm I'm a person who likes pineapple on her pizza. Uh, Supergirl Radio, you're, you're welcome here. 
uh, because Super Supergirl Radio is a pro pineapple on pizza podcast. So um, welcome to the club. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, we have some snap judgments from Emily. Uh, the first one is Lena Luther's blue green dress in this episode or the cobalt blue dress or the white dress at the end of the episode. And now, Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom? So which one of Lena's looks this week uh, did you prefer? I, you know, I almost thought the one she was wearing at Catco was James was almost out of character for her. It just didn't look right to me on her. The orange highlights with the white, it just something looked off kilter with that dress. I, I preferred the, the, the dress of the DEO. Well, I'm going to have to go the white dress at Catco on this one. That's the one that I think she had her classiest look. Uh, I thought she was dressed very appropriately at Catco. She looked like a boss. She looked fancy. Uh, so I, I was very impressed with that look. So I'm actually going to go the white dress on that one. But fair question. Uh, good choice on that one, Donna. Uh, really, any any of her looks are great. Uh, so there's no wrong answer. Let's put it this way. She's got arguably the best wardrobe in National City. That's that's probably true. We're, we're going to go with that. Uh, I don't think you can outdo. Uh, Nia, I think, has aspirations to get there. But Lena Luther, it's it's tough to beat. Well, see, but Nia, Nia doesn't have the uh, the income. <laughs> yes, I mean, those those dresses are probably not cheap. Uh, it, ta- it probably takes quite a bit of uh, cash money to pay for some of that wardrobe. So uh, Nia will have to save up for some of those looks. This has been Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom? Well, uh, our last snap judgment and uh, the most important one, probably, of uh, this episode. Uh, given Bebo's appearance in this uh, week's Supergirl episode, which Supergirl character would you rather see appear as a stuffed version on another CWDC show? Martian Manhunter or Brainiac 5? So if, say, The Flash went to the fairgrounds, which Supergirl character would you see as a, as a stuffed toy that you want at one of the games? Well, see, I'm used to seeing Brainiac 5 with the green makeup and not the, the blue of Supergirl. And since I'm not a huge Bebo fan, and if the stuffed character, this is a long roundabout answer, um, but if the ra- if the character were to to mimic the look of Brainiac Five the way the makeup is on Supergirl, then I would go Martian Manhunter. Yeah, I think I would go Martian Manhunter on this one. I think he would be a fun stuffed toy to win as a prize at a, a as at a fairground. Didn't somebody do or one of the comics do a whole thing of it of the the marketing of Superman or Supergirl? I'd say it would be a stuffed Supergirl. Probably more likely would be Supergirl. But uh, I I think in terms of Emily's question, I think I'm going to pick up Martian Manhunter on this one. No judgments on your snap judgments. Well, uh, that's going to do it for our thoughts and feedback. So thank you for all all of your uh, emails, tweets, voicemails, snap judgments. Thank you, uh, everybody, for sending those in on Ahimsa. And thank you, Donna, for joining me on the podcast this week and sharing your thoughts on this week's Supergirl episode. Where can our listeners find you on the Internet? They can find me on uh, 
Spoiler TV, SpoilerTV.com. I do reviews and interviews and the occasional column. I am on Twitter as at DJ Writer. That's D-J-R-I-T-E-R. And I'm also on Instagram as the DJ Writer. That's awesome. So everybody should check out Donna's stuff. Uh, well, if you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a, a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. And make sure, sure you get in all your feedback before Tuesdays uh, around 6.30 p.m. Eastern. That usually uh, helps us out a good bit. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, and on Spotify, where we also have a playlist that includes music featured on the show. We've added uh, a couple of tunes there. Uh, it, it, we are also listed at, on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. And we are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. So if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And don't forget that Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV Podcast Network. So if you also like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, Titans, Batwoman, and classic DC TV shows, you can su- subscribe to DC TV Podcast on Apple Podcast and follow at DC TV Podcast on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. That listing of the shows really uh, emphasizes how many shows that are actually in production. We have so many DC TV shows. Uh, so thank you for uh, doing the DC uh, TV plugs uh, for Morgan since she's out this week. Well, if I may, Rebecca, just take a second to say thank you for letting me come play in your playground. I loved it, enjoyed it, and and hopefully maybe can come back sometime. Yeah, well, any anytime you want to come back, just let us know. Uh, and I just want to remind listeners that we also have a, a DC TV podcast T Public Store. Uh, so if you want to check that out, just go to supergirlradio.com and you'll find a link to the T Public Store at the top of the page. Uh, and you can, if you want to follow me on uh, on the social medias, I'm I'm kind of not as active on Twitter uh, as much these days, but I'm trying to take some pretty pictures over on Instagram. So you can follow me at the Derby Kid over there. And I'm also a, still a contributor to JLU Podcast, where we discuss the DC films over at JLUuniverse.podomatic.com. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio on the uh, Supergirl episode, Ahimsa. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And remember that you have to trust your gut. You do that, and you will soar. (laughs) 